Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome the new broadcaster for the Sioux City Explorers, Zach Berman. Zach, thanks for joining us this week. Oh, my goodness, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure, and it's such a pleasure to be able to represent the Explorers organization and just get myself endeared and introduced to this community, to this league that, you know, I've heard so much about, and it's been such a dream of mine to be the voice of a professional baseball organization, and, you know, when I got the call, when I got the email saying, like, hey, the job's yours, I, you know, I'm not much of a crier, but I shed, I shed a couple tears, I'm not going to lie. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're pretty excited about this job. So for fans to kind of get to know you a little bit about, uh, a bit here, is tell us a little bit about your background and how you come to take the Sioux City job. Okay, so I grew up in a small town on the Jersey Shore about an hour south of New York City, about an hour and a half east of Philadelphia. And I grew up wanting to be one thing and one thing only. And <laughs> there are going to be some of y'all that roll your eyes at this. I understand it. But I grew up wanting to be the next shortstop of the New York Yankees. I had a life-size cutout cardboard poster of Derek Jeter on my bedroom wall. And I'd wake up and I'd say, I want to be the next Jeets. I wanted to be that guy. And then I actually stepped out onto a diamond. And it became pretty clear and apparent that that was not where I was headed. <laughs> Couldn't hit a ball off a tee. <laughs> My hand-eye coordination was just not there. But I, I just I love the sport so much, and I found myself becoming you know a bit of a baseball historian over high school, and then I started at the University of Missouri. Which, by the way, if you're going into sports broadcast, if that's down, if that's the path you want to go down, go to Mizzou you're going to get the hands-on experience calling high-level sports that you're not going to get at many other schools. So there's my, there's my shameless pandering at IC. But I spent two summers working summer ball. It was supposed to be three, but COVID took out an internship in the California Collegiate League. Did summer 2021 with the Fremont Moo and Fremont, Nebraska. So there were a lot of trips up through the Dakotas and Iowa. So I found myself quite endeared to Siouxland, to the whole, that neck of the woods. And then last summer, summer 2022, I recently spent with the Hyannis Harbor Hawks of the Cape Cod Baseball League, which was, as a baseball guy, a flat-out pilgrimage. But as a broadcaster, it was one of the greatest experiences in my life. And... At long last, after a couple months of, you know, putting my name out there, putting my reel out there, the right opportunity opened up. It was in a place that I was pretty familiar with. Seems like an incredible organization. Everything I've heard, both before and after the fact, is just affirmed so. And I'm so I'm excited. I'm beyond amped to be able to get to Sioux City, get out to the community, get to know everybody, get to know their stories, their lore, what, I guess, what sets the folks in Sioux City apart? I, I'm not just coming here to call baseball games. I want to be part of the community. I want to be one with y'all. I, I, I just, I think it's such an amazing opportunity. Do you find yourself fortunate that you wound up in Sioux City, a place that some have described as the New York of the Midwest? <laughs> yes, I find myself fortunate. Even though I was I was pretty convinced that Columbia, Missouri was the, the New York of the Midwest. I don't oh, no, know. I, mean, I just I just made that up, so Yeah, I <laughs> I'm very excited. I think I think it's a, an awesome community. I'm I'm what more can I say? I'm extremely honored. 
you know, Zach, I have to say that that's a pretty wide range of spots you've been on from uh, New Jersey, New York, Cape Cod, all the way out there to California. I mean, you could be like Zach Berman coast to coast here we got. Hey, I've been to 46 states. Wow. <laughs> wow. You. That is pretty impressive. Fantastic. Uh, did, were you familiar with independent baseball in terms of like the American Association and Sioux City and teams like that? American Association, not so much. I grew up actually going to New Jersey Jackals games, and then they went Frontier League. So I was pretty familiar with the way they ran their business model. And, of course, as a fellow Missouri Tiger, I actually talked to him on the phone today. I've talked to Carter Woodiel, who just took the job with the Monarchs, and he's helped me, you know, get a little bit more acclimated and acquainted with the association and everything the league has to offer. And it seems like such a well-run, well-thought-out league. And I'm not just saying this to, you know, pander to people. It sounds like an incredible league. Really, I haven't heard a bad thing. How far back do you go following the New York New Jersey Jackals because a couple of the managers in the league, George Samus and Joe Calfapietra, are legendary managers of that ball club? Oh, I was go I went to Jackals games as a Cub Scout when I was like five, six years old. So you've got to see Joe manage them before. I bet I did. I I got to tell you, I, that was really where I fell in love with baseball because, you know, I grew up a big Yankee fan, but the Bronx was a bit of a haul to get out to from the shore, so we'd only go once or twice a year. But the Jackals games were super accessible. And, it, you know, baseball at any level, yeah, sure, maybe guys aren't throwing 102-mile-per-hour turbo sinkers in, you know, the Frontier League or the Can-Am League back when the Jackals were – in it, but, you know, baseball is baseball. And the beauty of the game really reflects itself at any level. So I fell in love with it there. And, you know, it's been a dream. And when you when you got a dream, you just got to, you got to sit back and you got to work at it. And I think that I'm taking a next step that, it's not only going to further my career, but I want just, man, this whole experience has just been incredible. I, I've run out of words, and as a broadcaster, that's not something that happens very often. <laughs> so you're talking about wanting to talk more than just the baseball, what's happening in front of you during the game. What becomes the focus of stuff that you want to talk about as you're broadcasting? So I tend to watch other baseball broadcasts, I'd say around the majors, and then you go back a little bit into affiliated ball, and I guess now I'm going to go back through some American Association games once I get the app. But I like to almost sit back and watch broadcasts as if I'm a football coach watching film. I like to take, you know, little bits and pieces from – what I think somebody does well, what I think maybe somebody doesn't do well that I would like to personally improve on. I like to see myself as more of a storyteller than just a straight-up broadcaster. I would say who I try and model my style after, sort of a riff on what the incredible, inspirational Jason Benetti does with his White Sox broadcasts. I like to be able to try and you know, be relatable to the audience, but also at the same time, humanize these players. Because, you know, as a fan, you might just see him as a dude with a bat and a ball, but in reality, they're, it's just another human being with an incredible story. How did they get there? What, you know, what brought them to this moment? That, to me, the how and why is so much more important than just the simple, oh, there's a one-two count and a runner on first. So to be able to really bring these players' stories onto your phone, onto your TV, onto your radio dial, that to me is what's most important. To be able to 
do so with a little sense of humor and a smile on my face. That's what I wake up and say, this is what I'm going to do every single day. Now, you're following in the footsteps of a couple of very good broadcasters in the legendary Dave Nitz, followed by Connor Ryan. So coming into that as a young broadcaster, do you feel like, hey, I've got to try to live up to the standards that these guys have set, or you just block all that out and say, hey, I'm just going to be myself, and let's see where this takes me? I think there are some incredible people that have – Spent many a years working in the press boxes of Lewis and Clark, but I'm just trying to be the first Zach Berman. I think that's what's most important in this league because anybody can do a riff on anybody in the broadcast world, but the people that really wind up standing out are the folks that make the games their own. And I still got a ways to go in that regard, but, you know, that's my goal. And it's not a linear process. I just simply hope I achieve it. When when you're coming into a place like Sioux City, you know, kind of acclimating yourself to a new team, new managers, all, all the stuff that goes on with this, what what, what becomes like your your process? What what do you want to accomplish between like oh, in the next week or the next month or something to get yourself ready for the baseball season? This is just you know more so than getting numbers on point streak ready, or I just like to sit down and talk with people. You know, for a little bit, my dad lived in New York City, and when I was 13 years old, I would just strike up conversations with random people on the subway heading back to his apartment. That's just kind of who I am, and there's nothing I think that is more informative that helps me as a broadcaster and eventually you as an audience member out than, you know, sitting down over a cup of coffee with a smile on my face and just like, hey, how was your day? What's going on? What, what brings you here? What's going through your mind? I think just being able to sit down and have that communication process with people is what is going to help me the most. Now, Sioux City has had a, a tradition under manager Steve Montgomery of a lot of winning seasons. This last year fell a little bit short of making the playoffs, but been to the championship series twice. And what, what just your feeling about the team, have you studied about guys or, or the management or, or what the team has been like over the past few years? You know, after talking with everybody, they really play out in Sioux City, my favorite brand of baseball, and it's something that I've spent a lot of time broadcasting with Hyannis back in the Cape League, which is with the deep dimensions at our home digs, it's a lot of small ball. And I think, you know, in the day and age of players hitting for power and a lot of, you know, expected batting average and launch angles and whatnot, I think there's nothing more special in the game of baseball. And call me a traditionalist than just manufacturing runs, you know, getting guys on base, hitting run baseball. That, to me, is what's most exhilarating. And while it wasn't, you know, a determination factor in taking the Sioux City job, the way they play is just so much fun. <laughs> and so you've had hope, a special – I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I hope, I ho I hope in my time – the championship calls, I'll practice in the car every day on my way to the ballpark, get to eventually find the airwaves. You'd be the first guy to call that if that happens, so I'm sure fans would love to hear that as reality. Oh, I'm, keep, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, believe me. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you, Steve is one of my favorite guys, manager there in Sioux City, uh, but... Uh, can be pretty gruff at times. You've had a chance to talk to him and, and, and get to know his personality a little bit. I talked to him for a second over the phone during the interview, but otherwise not much. I've heard he's an incredible personality and <laughs> I mean, man, I've heard some stories. I can't wait. And look, I'm from Jersey. I've dealt with a, with a billion personalities. It's all about, you know, how can you relate to anybody? I've heard Steve's an incredible guy. I can't wait to, you know, work with him for a whole season. It's it's such a privilege, let me tell you. Now, uh, 
you're in a very tough division here in the in the West. Uh, Kansas City set all kinds of league records last year. Fargo winds up winning the championship. You have close rivalries with Sioux Falls and Lincoln. Um, what, what do you know about the teams in the league right now? And and what do you what do you what how do you build those rivalries? I guess is kind of what I'm looking at. Are you asking how do you build upon them, or you know what do I? Yeah, like as a broadcaster. Yeah, as a broadcaster, what 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 do you think becomes your role on kind of building on those rivalries a little bit? I think you need to play his story to a certain extent, but you know, for a lot of the diehards, they don't need to hear the same stories regurgitated over and over again. So, a lot of it is just letting it play out in the field. You know, it, these teams have been rivals for a long time for a reason and eventually you know you get you have these great moments that come about that when you're a baseball nerd like myself you sit down and you say that's the kind of thing you remember and that's what makes a rivalry so special i look i grew up around yankees red Sox. i spent last summer in the battle of barnstable with katu at hyannis which is probably one of the most heated rivalries I've ever experienced. You know, you're going into the into the office every day and they're talking about, oh, I can't stand the kettle ears, I can't stand this. And I know they share the same, you know, sentiment towards us. So but at the end of the day, for, from a broadcast standpoint, you know, you just gotta treat it like every other game. It's it's baseball, you know, there's nine guys in the field for both sides. But of course, being on the, the plus side of a rivalry and winning those games, you got to make it a little bit sweeter as a from the uh, from the broadcast booth for sure. Now, uh, you said that Derek Jeter was the guy you wanted to replace there at Yankee Stadium. So, with the Yankees, was that your favorite team growing up as well? Oh, I grew up in a huge Yankee family. We, yeah. <laughs> You know, when your, your grandparents grew up in the city, your dad grew up on Long Island. Yeah, I've been a Yankee fan pretty much since the day I was born. Uh, Brett Jody, the manager there in Lincoln, was a, a Yankee briefly. Uh, that's the system he came up through there. So uh, I'm sure the two of you have a lot to talk about a little uh, out there. Oh, I'm sure. I I got to tell you, I'm... I'm still sitting here waiting for them to make another move to replace Aaron Hicks in left field, but for now I can be happy with bringing back Aaron Judge and Carlos Rodon, who is going to be such a force in the rotation for the next few years. I'm a little curious from you, Zach, is that um, I, I saw AAA now turning to um, automated mechanical pitch count, you know, uh, an umpire, a mechanical umpire calling balls and strikes behind a home plate. That's the term I was looking for. Are, are you in favor of stuff like that? Are you more of a traditionalist in terms of how you'd like to see the game called? I think there needs to be a little bit of a video review aspect in, you know, because balls and strikes, at the end of the day, they're judgment calls, and some umpires obviously are better than others. But... I think there needs to be, for, like, extreme borderline calls, a way to look things through. I don't know. Maybe maybe it can be like hockey where a manager can get two challenges a game or something like that. But I think there needs to be a certain level of accountability, but you can't take the human aspect out of it. I think going to straight robo-umps just sort of takes a lot of a, the personal aspect out of the game. Robo-ump. That was a term I was looking for. See, you came up big for me here, Zach. It made me look like I know something now. So, all right, good. Robo-ump. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Do, do you, uh, as, as you've watched these rule changes that they've been coming up, some have worked their way down into the minors, even in an independent baseball. The Atlantic League adopted bigger bases and, you know, not allowing shifts and things like that. Are, do you see that as something that you would like to see come into the American Association? The bigger bases I like, I think the shift is something that, you know, I think there's still a little bit of strategy involved in it. I, like I mentioned, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but I don't think, you know, things should stay the same just for the sake of tradition. But look, 
there are definitely a lot of big lefty power bats that are going to be happy with the shift going away eventually. But I think for uh, for a ma- from a managerial standpoint, that really makes you, you know, you question your matchups. You question, you know, who comes in where, how hard he's going to hit the ball, where he hits the ball to. I think baseball still needs a little bit of that, which is why I was – I <laughs> got to tell you, I got some flack for this. I was still in favor of pitchers hitting because I think it keeps a little bit of strategy involved. Yeah, I understand people are like, oh, you know, I don't want Bartolo Colon coming up twice a game or three times a game. And to that I get your point, but also the strategy of, okay, if when do we pinch it? Does he bunt? Does he swing away? How do we, you know, stack the rest of our lineup? I think there's that aspect to the game is so important. And, you know, that goes way back to, what Yogi Berra said about the game being more of a a mental game than a physical game. I think just keeping enough of that tradition in there and enough of that strategic aspect in there is important for the sport, but also it doesn't have to be stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way completely. There's always room to grow and change and improve. I'm with you on that one. And I, something I guess I've never understood is a modern starting pitcher has four days off between starts. Would you maybe take one of those days and go do some work in the batting cage and try to become a halfway decent hitter where you're helping your own cause out? I just don't get where we've always where we always accepted the fact that pitchers were for the most part were terrible hitters. I just to me, if I'm a starting pitcher, I want to try to do everything I can to help myself out. I mean, look at Shohei Otani. You don't have to be a... Exactly. Granted, it's not easy to be... It's Not everybody can say, oh, I'm going to try and be the next Shohei Otani, but still. Well, you know, there's a guy that can hit like 200 at least. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a conversation that's certainly worth being had. Zach, I'm curious, you've called baseball here for a few years, and I know you love these stories and to kind of tell the player's side of, of, of something so fans can get better acquainted with the team that you're calling games for. Is there a story that you have over the last few years that really kind of stood out to you for a player that you thought, wow, that was just a fantastic story. This guy really had a, an interesting tale to tell. Oh, my goodness, absolutely. There's one that stands out immediately. So last summer with the Hyannis Harbor Hawks, we had a middle infielder by the name of Riku Nishida. And he grew up in Osaka, Japan, went to the same high school as Yu Darvish, and eventually went stateside to play baseball and wound up at a Mount Hood Community College in Portland, Oregon, and was in the West Coast League when our front office staff in Hyannis, GM Nick Johnson, our assistant uh, – <laughs> General managers, uh, Zach Chase and Mazdak Darvari, who's now at the Red Sox, congrats to him. And they tracked this kid down and brought him onto the Cape. And let me tell you, this kid has the most interesting, you know, hitting mechanics you'll ever see in your life. When, he, when you get the two strikes on him, he will squat all the way down. He'll take one stretch, two stretches, three stretches, four stretches, He'll change up every single thing about his stance and become almost as, as defensive as possible to the point where it almost looks like he's fencing. And almost every single time, he would make just enough contact to dribble one into the infield. And if you let the ball bounce more than twice, he's gone. One of the fastest baseball players I think I've ever seen. Biggest personality you've ever seen was one of the most fun players, I think, in any sport ever I've gotten the honor to cover. He'll he'll be in the bigs for sure. Now he's actually playing in the Pac-12 at University of Oregon. But great kid, great story. And I will tell you this, he's the only player in the Hyannis Harbor Hawks that could get away with pimping a double off the wall and not exactly running it out without getting completely chastised because everyone was laughing too hard to really get get on him for it. <laughs> that is very interesting. Wow. Uh, do, do you get 
and and the in the leagues like that, are you able, are you traveling out on the buses or with guys and getting a chance to chat with them, or what's your ability to interact with players in leagues like that? Tape, not so much, but you know that's tough because a there's not much travel and you're going about forty five minutes tops for a game. But when I was in the well, now it's defunct the Expedition League. You know, 10-hour bus trips through Nebraska and the Dakotas was pretty commonplace. And, you know, you're staying up late on, on these coach buses with these players. And one of my first memories out in in Nebraska was we were on the side of I-94 coming back from Dickinson, North Dakota. We played the Badlands Big Sticks and our bus blew two tires. And that night was it was a pr- – Oh, my gosh, it was the Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul fight. And myself and the entire team threw on someone's Wi-Fi hotspot and just sort of huddled around in the back of the bus and watched this god-awful fight. It was a terrible fight. I'm not even an MMA guy. But just the little moments like that, just, you know, being able to endear yourself to the team and have fun with it. And then, you know, by the end of the summer, you wind up, well, I'm really missing them because when you're when you're part of a a team, it's like you spend more time with these guys than you do your own family members. Do you have other funny stories from the road in the expedition league? Because I know reading the uh, Twitter page, Foul Pole Sports, there's a lot of fun things that go on in some of these summer leagues. Guys um, oh setting up goodness. a campfire in the bullpen and heaven, heaven knows what else. And sometimes the post-game spread was a little less than desirable. I've heard about moldy whoppers. and hey, The story's going to be endless every summer. Okay, I'll, let me think of a couple good ones. Uh, me losing a bet with the Sioux Falls Sunfish broadcaster and having to sing the national anthem on the road. That's one. Uh, oh, man. i got to keep thinking here. There are definitely some good ones that I'm just totally blanking on. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Honestly, just ask me something else, and if something comes to me, I'm sure something will. I'll tell you. Hold on. I got the story. So... Let me, let me keep thinking here. Well, we know now that Sioux City has a backup anthem singer. <laughs> yes, they do. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, <laughs> boy, that, that my, my whole intern team, that is on their phones, and I pray to God that something happens to, you know, the iPhone software where everybody's cameras just get wiped. <laughs> That's... <laughs> It's it's not quite Fergie bad, but it's bad. You won't see me winning American Idol anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, how do you get into a bet like that? What what goes on to make that happen? We bet it on a game, and in the bottom of the ninth inning, we got out in oh my god, I forget the name of the ballpark, but it's uh, it's Augustana University's ballpark. We had two outs. We could have clinched it. We ended up not making the playoffs because of this game. Bottom of the ninth inning, there's a runner on first, and it's popped up in a shallow into the shallow outfield on the left side of the ball. And our shortstop backs into the outfield grass and drops the ball, and immediately throws to second. And I, you know, sometimes I'll watch the broadcast again to torture myself. He was. Uh, guy running from first to second was clearly out in the forest. The ump didn't see it. And in such a, a deep ballpark, the very next pitch from a guy with a guy off the bench at the plate, it was like the second to last game of the year. Sioux, Sioux Falls had nothing to play for. Hits it straight into the wind tunnel down the right field line. And I think it was one of like five home runs they hit in their home park all year. Walks the game off. And not only that, after on a game where we had been 
basically mathematically eliminated, I had to go out and do the walk of shame, sing the national anthem the next day. <laughs> to be fair, Was the same gonna... broadcaster that I lost that I lost the bet to had pitched an inning earlier in the year in an actual live game. He pitched, walked the bases loaded, and was yanked. <laughs> was he going to sing the national anthem if you won the bet, or you were asking something else of him? Honestly, I think I honestly forget what I asked of him because I told him, I'm like, look, you've already walked the bases loaded in a live game. I don't think you can embarrass yourself more than that. <laughs> so... Look, at the very like least, the, if I can get my team to laugh a little bit, it's fine. But I'm not going to actually cost them in a game. <laughs> I like looking for the uh, the embarrassment factor. I think that's a good thing. Good for you. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, no, that was a, I, a fun summer. Now, now, you've got to enjoy some of these long bus rides. So you're going to get to do a lot of these as well. Uh, some, some trips you're going to have down there from Sioux City down to places like Cleburne or traveling all the way out east there to uh, in, in Gary, Indiana, things like that. What, what, what does Zach Berman do on the bus to occupy his time? Uh, what does Zach Berman do on the bus to occupy his time? Well, let me tell you, it's not that season. Well, it's not going to be that season during the, uh, during the actual baseball season. But my biggest thing that I do when I'm not working, you know, baseball is I am a huge NFL draft nut job i this past year for a sports sports startup app called u stadium who i've worked with throughout college they're great i got to cover the senior bowl in mobile i got to cover the scouting combine in indianapolis then i got to cover the draft in vegas so that's a that's a little you know nerdy side to me and i could spend hours just on the pff website you know crafting mock drafts but during baseball season, I'd say it's a mix between, you know, studying up on games and watching whatever's out on Netflix. You know, summer 2021, that was when I was with Fremont. Uh, Outer Banks is a big one. Definitely a show where you got to turn your brain off a bit, but it's good. I'm a, I'm a big Marvel guy, so I think Loki came out that summer. That was a good streamer. Uh, playing Mafia, that was a big <laughs> Oh, man, that got competitive. Ooh. Well, that sounds entertaining, getting yourself going. Now, now knowing that you're a devout uh, NFL draft guy, you got to be pretty excited about your Giants then. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. No. This, well, i got a story for you. So I'm actually in Phoenix, Arizona right now with my girlfriend and her family, and they all live out here. And yesterday we went to you know, a bar near her place to watch the game, and – Without even realizing it, we had stumbled into, like, the legitimately official Minnesota Vikings bar down here in the Valley, and here I am in my Giants hat, and they're doing the skull chant before kickoff, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm just out of my mind for doing this, and I got to tell you, they were really nice. Uh, at least the, 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 the wonderful folks in purple were super nice, but... You know, look, I'm 23 years old now. Giants had last won a playoff game when I was in sixth grade. So it's it's pretty cool. It's a big deal. Pretty big turnaround this year from last year, too. I think they went 4-13. and 13. What what'd you credit that to? Uh, what do I credit it to? Well, our uh, GM, Joe Shane, and the whole coaching staff he brought in, Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka, Really smart group of guys. They don't have much talent on the roster because, you know, the previous uh, general manager, Dave Gettleman, he completely screwed up the cap and left the team with a lot of bloated contracts. So they went in pretty much with a stripped-down roster of spare parts and a quarterback in Daniel Jones that nobody knew what we had in them. And I got to tell you, if you had told me in – August or September, that the Giants would be playing in the divisional round, I'd look at you like you were nuts. But, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud. I think as somebody who has suffered these last six years with some of the worst football 
you could see on an NFL field, this has been a, a special team. Now, now, I have to ask you this because I, I will openly say here, I will I would vote for literally anybody against the Cowboys. I, I absolutely can't stand the Dallas Cowboys. So I got to ask for you, Philadelphia Eagles worse or Dallas Cowboys worse? Ooh, okay. And I'm I'm looking at, at we're recording this what Monday night the yes what's today's day today the today's the sixteenth. The Cowboys are up 18 zip at the half. I'll give it to you straight. I dislike Eagles fans more than I dislike Cowboys fans, but I dislike the Cowboys organization a lot more than I dislike the Eagles organization. I think Philadelphia as a team is extremely well run. I think there are a lot of likable players that happen to wear the wings on their helmets. I think – that coaching staff, that managerial staff, I think Howie Roseman's a genius. I think uh, Jeff Lurie's a hell of an owner. But, yeah, the, <laughs> I, I even though my, my younger brother goes to culinary school in Philly, I don't think you could pay me to go to the game next weekend. <laughs> I get it that. It kind of reminds me of the, it reminds me of the late Herb Brooks when he coached Minnesota go for hockey. And he would talk about Wisconsin Badger fans. And he'd, uh, it'd be a backhanded compliment. He'd always say, well, they got great fans. They don't know anything, but they got great fans. Oh, my gosh. When I was eight years old, I went to a Giants-Eagles playoff game with my dad, and I learned plenty of new words that I can, for no reason or circumstance, repeat on this podcast or on any broadcast. <laughs> And under no circumstances should any eight-year-old be hearing those words uttered or strung together in a sentence. They are uh, fervent, let's say. Yeah. Are y'all are y'all are y'all big hockey guys or huge? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you know, in this league, you almost have to be. <laughs> I was just watching a gopher hockey game on. It's going to be my final thought for the tonight, but I'm going to blow it here. I was watching a Minnesota gopher hockey game on the Peacock Network. They're playing at Notre Dame. Connor Klingon is calling the game. During the summer, Connor Klingon is one of the play-by-play guys for the Kane County Cougars. His partner, really? Joe Brand, does, his partner, Joe Brand, fills in with Chicago Blackhawks hockey on radio and does the pre- and post-game shows. So there there's a lot of lot of lot of lot of hockey connections in this league. Oh, see, I left one thing out. The reason I took this job and the reason I love this league so much is because as a broadcaster, my 1A is baseball, my 1B is hockey. I am a gigantic hockey fan. And that's the sport that I enjoy calling second to baseball. You know, Have you done City hockey City broadcasting? Sioux City's got the reigning national championship team. Yeah. Sioux City's got the reigning national champion. I got to touch up on that a little bit. My dad's an alum of Boston University, so I always keep track on the college side of things. And then my beloved New Jersey Devils are finally back to being respectable after a, a tough decade. Yeah, they definitely have Your been a surprise this season. Yeah, I'm just happy to see Jack Hughes finally reach his potential. He's going to be a problem for a long time. So your dad went to Boston U, so that means you are a big bean pot tournament guy. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Have you been to that at all, gone to see those that ever played? I've never seen it played, but... Every, oh my gosh, every Black Friday, Cornell plays a big hockey game at Madison Square Garden, and then a couple of years they've had BU in there. So whenever BU's gone, I've tried to get up. You know, I've been begging Mizzou. I mean, I don't know how I could ever <laughs> get my word out there, but if there's any college in America that needs a D1 hockey program, you know, with you know the Blues winning the cup a couple of years back, 
I think there's a lot of talent coming out of the state. I would love to see Mizzou get a real deal hockey program, but just another sport for us to stink at. I know Lindenwood started up uh, Division One hockey, and I believe oh, yeah. are they not in St. Louis? Uh, yeah, Lindenwood's in St. Louis. But you know, going throughout the league, you got Brad Allred in Cleburne, who's a Dallas Stars fan. Michael Dixon in Lincoln is a big Dallas Stars fan. Trying to think, um, Steve Schuster in Winnipeg has done work with, I believe he's done a little uh, press box work with the Winnipeg Jets, and then he has done a little bit of play-by-play with the Manitoba Moose. And then out east, well, we had Ryan Zimmerman of the Gary South Shore Railcats on the show, and he's done some fill-in play-by-play for the Vermont Catamounts. And like I mentioned with uh, Joe Brand and Connor Klingon, um, both being involved with either NHL or Division One hockey, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's amazing. You know, you talk to the, you'll talk to, geez, I'm drawing the blank of, um, help me out, Rob, Milwaukee, Tom Wynn. Tom, yeah, Tom Wynn is an encyclopedia of Wisconsin hockey, so. So yeah, if you want if you want hockey talk this summer, um, there's a lot of places to go for it in this league. I can't wait. I to be my eventual goal is to be, you know, baseball during baseball season, and when it's not when it ain't baseball season, to be somewhere in an arena freezing my butt off. That's beautiful. Well, Zach, you are a brand new guy to our show, so uh, you, you get to learn a great thing here today. Uh, we always give our guests a, an opportunity to give us a final thought ending today's program, so whatever you would like to talk about, the sh- the floor is yours. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, boy. I I really don't know what else to say except to – Everybody at the Sioux City Explorers organization, thank you so much for letting me be, you know, a piece of your family. And I I can't wait to make everybody proud this summer. And also, Mom, Dad, Matt, Casey, love you so much. Fantastic. Zach Berman, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for oh, doing this. Oh, my goodness, no problem. Thank you guys for bringing me on. Well, Kevin, we, we stepped aside for a moment, coming back to Greg Tiger next week, but Zach hired this week, and we're definitely glad to have him on the show, and looks like he's going to be a great addition there for Sioux City. Can't, can't definitely um, argue with the amount of enthusiasm I think he's going to bring to this job, and, you know, it's uh, it looks like it's another young uh, voice for this league, and be excited to see what he brings to the Sioux City franchise. You know, while I appreciate the league and teams in the league giving guys a a chance to, um, you know, kind of get their feet wet and and get into professional baseball, I also am glad to see when a person's had some experience calling baseball games and then this is a, a step up for them. And it looks like Zach has, you know, had some great experience working some of the summer coll- uh, collegiate leagues and really earned this spot out here. And, and I think he would be a great addition to the, for Sioux City. And I'm looking forward to see how he calls games. Um, I think we're about 120 days away from the season getting underway. So pretty exciting time around Sioux City for sure. Yeah, you got to remember these, a lot of these younger broadcasters are a lot like the players in the league too, where they've, they're looking at getting to that next level also. So, you know, as, as you and I, since we've always had these bonds with the broadcasters, we've we've gotten to follow a lot of these guys' stories as they've come into the league and some have left the league and some are, have become staples. Absolutely. As I mentioned, we'll come back with Greg Taggart next week um, to finish out our look at the uh, – back on the 22 season as well as talk with Greg about what he's looking forward to this season as the new manager for Winnipeg, Winnipeg, if I can say that correctly. Uh, but Kevin, let's just talk, go around independent baseball a little bit and talk about some of the things that are going on. And first of all, we'll, we'll discuss transactions. Cleveland pretty uh, active this last week with some releases that they have, not only releasing right-hander pitcher Landon Holyfield 
and Oswaldo Arceide, I think is the way you say that, uh, Brian Brickhouse, Jordan Foley, and Chuck Taylor, all released by the club as well. Um, Oswaldo was a guy that you and I are pretty excited about last season when they signed him, but unfortunately visa issues made it impossible for him to reach the team, and now he won't be in that Cleveland Railroaders jersey this year. You know, he'll go down as the great unknown, a guy that was technically with the organization for over a year, but never once stepped on the field. Kind of wonder what he's going to be doing, if he's going to flat out retire or play overseas or what his deal's going to be. I don't think he's the oldest guy around, so I imagine he's got some games left in him. Absolutely. They do re-sign Edwin Arroyo, who was a great pickup for them about a week and a half into the season last year, and... um really delivered big time for them at the top of the order. Uh, going around to other teams out there, an, an exciting return for Sioux Falls as they bring back Mike Hart, Kevin. That was kind of a surprise. You know, uh, Hart was a key part of that organization going back a couple of years ago, and I know there was like a trade to Fargo where he never went to Fargo. Fargo traded him out east. He bounced around him, and now it looks like he'll, he'll be heading back to the association, back to to um, the Sioux Falls Canaries where he originally started. You know, he's one of those guys, Kevin, when you when you see him in another uniform, you just go, well, that, that just doesn't fit. I mean, he's, just, he's so perfect for that blue and yellow. It just matches up well for that. And one of the toughest guys you're going to see, just a, a guy who runs 100%, 100 miles an hour all the time, and we love the way he plays. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the blue and yellow, too. We'd be remiss to say that um, the team wearing blue, blue and gold have won a championship in South Dakota as uh, South Dakota State University Jackrabbits um, won their national championship, defeating their rival North Dakota State Bison a week ago Sunday. So maybe it's an omen there, a team wearing blue and gold winning a championship. We'd love to see that for sure. Uh, Lincoln Saltog, signed right-handed pitcher Carson Lance. Uh, to the team, as well as signed right-handed pitcher John uh, Bezdisic. I think I know I'm not saying that right. John, my apologies for that. Uh, Lake Country signs um, Casey Porter Real, excuse me, former for the Gary South Shore Railcat closer last year, who came and did a great job for Gary. He to uh, add some depth to that Lake Country bullpen, Kevin, which was having some problems last season. Carlos Diaz came in. He's a guy who's got a lot of experience in this league closing out games, struggled for Lake Country, but looks like they're going to have both a, a guy from the right and the left side that could be winners for them this year. Yeah, if that pans out, that's going to be huge for that team because you can't imagine how many games that the Doc Collins lost out on just because he didn't have a guy to finish it out in the eighth and ninth innings. You got to admire Jim Bennett there too. He's down there in Australia, still signing guys. Doesn't matter where he's at; he's making sure he's handling business for his club. And, oh, also, uh, Lake Country also signs outfielder Casey Dykstra and uh, Ben Lavorsi and Eric. Azerski are signed by Fargo-Moorhead. Fargo ben Lavorsi, we're going to see, uh, probably is going to wind up getting a lot of playing time this season with Christian Correa heading on to the coaching staff out there for um, in his career now. So Ben did a great job for this team, and, and I'm, I'm sure they're pretty confident that he can be the guy behind the plate for them. That seemed to be the hint that Anthony Renz dropped at us last week when we were talking about succeeding in Correa. It seemed like Lavorsi's name was the first one that, came up, so and if they bring back Manny Poscon, they've got another guy there with Poscon that can catch also, but in the forest, what a, what a great story. He's been a guy that was played Division two college baseball for Minnesota State University Mankato, was playing town ball for the Chanhassen Redbirds, then gets signed by Fargo and end up being a key part of the championship team, filling in wherever he was needed. Let's jump around to some of the other independent leagues out there. We will head out to the Frontier League where uh, T.J. White uh, for um, the Quebec team, I believe what I'm talking about here, just make sure that I'm saying that right. I believe so, yes. Uh, will wind up being a player coach this year for the team as they're working to continue to finish out their coaching staff roster. A longtime Evansville coach and analyst for the team, Bill McKeon, passes away. So condolences to him, the organization, and to his family as well. Ninety years old, though. You got to be. Um, that, that's a guy who's 
got to see a lot of good baseball for 70 years. So good, good for him out there. So um, we are, again, our, our sympathies out there to the organization and to the McKeon family. And in the Frontier League, also former major leaguer Jared Wright named to the Thunderbolts pitching staff for this upcoming season. Jumping out to the Atlantic League, uh, their big thing is Charleston announces their coaching staff for the 2023 season. It will be Joe Testa who will join um, to become the field manager. Billy Horn will be the pitching coach. They also uh, add Anthony, I think this is Coramato, and Eddie Milan as uh, bench coach and bullpen coach for the team. Uh, Gastonia announces three players that were signed to the team. And I did want to mention, Kevin, for you and I to just briefly talk about here, uh, the big deal for this season is that AAA will go with the robo-umpires for all 30 clubs this season. And uh, this was something they tried out the Atlantic League. We know this was not very popular in the Atlantic League. Uh, How do you think this fares well with, with AAA this season? I don't know exactly how it's going to be implemented. I'm not sure if it's going to be just for balls and strikes or if it's going to be for everything. I know for balls and strikes, I believe they still have it where, like, the home plate umpire, I think he'll have an earpiece and then the the – Robo ump will tell him strike or ball, and I believe he can still overrule it if he feels like that. Something's off with the robo ump, and, and uh, he can overjudge it. But if not, it's going to be it's going to be a work in progress because we're going to have to make sure those things are lined up perfectly. Where you know players at the AAA level have a pretty good feel for where the strike zone is, and they know when the things are not. Um, just right with that. So we'll see what happens. Well, you're bringing up an interesting point because so half of the games are going to be where it is strictly the automated ball and strike system making the call. Half The other half of the games are going to be with the earpiece and the umpire's ear and him being able to overrule one way or the other if he decided to do so. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds kind of silly to me, <laughs> you know. I mean, how do you decide what half is getting it and what half isn't? And I wonder how that winds up impacting. I mean, if I'm a player who got kind of shafted by the system and that might impact my ability to get to the major leagues, I I may not be particularly happy with this idea. So uh, interesting way I guess they're implementing this. You have to imagine, though, that they're pretty sure what they're doing if they're going to actually do it on the AAA level and not just – Use a league or like the Atlantic League to guinea pig it. That's a good point. So, I, I would have more faith in the, in this decision if Rob Manford wasn't involved. I guess I'll say Kevin, but you're, I think you're bringing up there at AAA level. These are guys who are looking to make it to the next level, to the biggest level of all. And you can't implement something like that if it's got a bunch of glitches and 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 concerns for for players out there. So. This probably will be implemented well, so I'll, I'll I will tip my cap to Kevin in that great point right there. So that was fantastic. I mean, what, what what's it going to look like? Are we going to see like R two D two on the field behind home plate with like a mask on and and like raising his right arm if it's a strike? Or I hope so. <laughs> I think I think that would be all right. I would really. I don't know what they do if. I mean, I'm assuming there's still got to be a home plate umpire because you're going to have plays at the plate or whatever. But I don't know. Does the umpire just solely get a uh, – they get a call – you know, that was a strike, and then they just say whatever they were told in games where it's completely determined by the um, by the system, the ABS system, or does it? Does there some kind of robot thing right there that beeps at, at the player to tell them, hey, you got a strike or you got a ball? I, I'm – I'm not sure about that. So I, I, I guess I'm going to have to check out the Sean Aronson press releases here and find out a little bit more about uh, um, what he says on that because Sean's usually pretty good about um, giving some detail on stuff. So I'll, Kevin and I will discuss that a little bit more next week if we have any other exciting news to that. But right now I don't 
I don't really think I have anything that I can update on them. I don't. So we're going to have to do some homework, Kevin. So I'll work on that this week. I think that's all the news from around independent baseball, Kevin. So we get to the best part of the show, the Kevin Local final thought. Well, I'm going to, you know, originally my final thought was going to be something we end up um, talking to to our guests about this week. Let's just help um, the influx we have of broadcasters in this league that are also doing uh, hockey and other sports. But I'll segue from that. And, you know, I, this winter I have tried being more in touch with the United States Hockey League. It's like the premier junior league that feeds players into the Division I college and professional ranks. And I joined the uh, discussion page on Facebook. And all I've learned from it is every team's got the worst fans around. And I go and I compare that to what I see in the American Association. And I have to say, American Association fans, I think, are the best fans in all the sports because when you have, I've seen it where, like, rival fans will go to a ballpark, and I would say 95% of the time they are treated with respect by the home club because, you know, in this league, we all kind of have a bond. It, you know, it's as big as the American Association is, it's still – sort of a niche league um, uh, with a bit of a cult following. And within that, I think it's a cult following of fans too. And I'm glad to see that most of the time um, play, oh, sorry, fans that are rooting for opposite teams are still very respectful towards each other. And they'll, they'll help out opposing fans when they, up to the ballpark to make them feel at home. So I just think that's something special that the American Association has that you just don't really see anywhere else. You know, Kevin, I think that that is a very good point. And I'm going to talk specifically about that, about just your personal experience, because before I came along in the American Association baseball, you would follow the St. Paul Saints very Closely had been a, a, a devout fan from the, the moment that they threw their first pitch. And I remember you talking to me a lot about you got to know people from Winnipeg and Fargo and, and Sioux City and Sioux Falls um, who knew your ties to the team. Bill Tyler, another guy like that, had strong ties to St. Paul. And they were happy to welcome you to come to or just talk with you out on Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever about um, the games and, and the league in general and stuff. And, I, and, and then when you and I started this show together, they welcomed you as a, a guy who was still the Saints fan in a way, but was, was also covering the league as a whole. And, and I think it just says a lot about these are true baseball people who love American Association baseball. And that makes it a lot of fun to go out and enjoy games because you know you're going to get sophisticated fans who really understand the game. You know, I think of uh, Sioux Falls, and in 2005, they had a pretty strong tailgating group called the Apole Gang. And through that, the guy that ran it, Eric Ronke, I, him and I have had a friendship that has been strong since um, 2005. So, you know, doing the math there, it's 18 years. And... You know, it's pretty neat knowing that Eric doesn't get out to the ballpark like he used to, but I know if I go out to South Dakota that, you know, I've got someone to get a hold of and hang out with. And, you know, last year with hotel rates being ridiculous, I was able to stay at uh, Eric's house when I was doing a trip out there. So it's um, it's fun. And, you know, like I think a lot of us have – said too it's um it's definitely a summer family but that within that you know you think summer family as fans of your team but i just think the league as a whole kind of becomes your extended family as you get out and get to know people couldn't agree with you more i want to also uh before we head out here tonight thank kevin for joining he's got, got a battle a little bit of back and and uh tooth problem here tonight but toughed it out here and, and gave us a, a great show here this evening. So, Kevin, uh, thanks for being willing to suffer a little bit and still give us 
you know, an outstanding thing here for the show, and 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 uh, we'll hope you're doing better by next Monday. Well, they gave me muscle relaxers and painkillers, so I'm hoping they kick in at some point. I took them right before the show began, and I was a little worried that I was going to zonk out during the show because apparently the muscle relaxers tend to do that. So, but obviously they haven't kicked in yet because, well, I'm still awake and talking. So <laughs> sometimes you just got to play hurt. Once again, next week we will have Greg Taggart, new manager for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, joining us. I want to once again thank Zach Berman for joining us this week. For Kevin Loco, I am Rob Panier. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association.